Well, as always, it is good to be with you in this pulpit as we open up the Bible. And we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke again. And we're going to be looking at our fourth song, the fourth Advent song. Because this is, as you guys have seen throughout the service so far, this is the last Sunday before Christmas. Marking really the last Sunday of Advent. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to be you know, doing that Christmas Eve service on Friday. And then I will have um, kind of a bonus song on Sunday the 26th. But this is really our last time in the Gospel of Luke. Where we have been taking these last four Sundays in looking at different songs, different poems, different prophecies that surround the birth of Christ. And asking, what do these have to do with us today, right, in the year 2021? Today we're going to be at the Song of Simeon, which if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, that's going to be starting in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22, that's going to be on page 857 if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles around the room. And as you are turning there, let me ask you a question. The question is, how do you do on waiting for something that you really, really want? Yeah, me too. (laughs) Me too. Do you have a tendency to not wait well? Or maybe you're like me, and you've been described your personality as a dog on a bone. Meaning that... Either what you have or what you long for, you are so fixated on that that it's hard for you to do anything or think about anything else. And I think this time of year, doesn't that get tested a little bit, right? Our patience, our waiting, our trusting. Maybe you are waiting to give presents to people that you love and cherish. Or maybe you're like my kids, you're just waiting to receive presents, from those who you love and cherish? Maybe you're waiting for family or loved ones to come in and visit you. Maybe you're waiting to just feel better, maybe physically, emotionally. You just find yourself weary again this December. And you're waiting and enduring maybe it's just a tough season of life. And I say all of that because when it comes to faith, When it comes to faith, we typically don't think about waiting and how faith intertwines with waiting a whole bunch. A whole bunch. Because waiting is actually a demonstration of faith. So when it comes to Christianity, when we actually have faith in God, we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean when it comes to waiting? And honestly, if if you were to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, right from the first page to the last page, you would see that most of the examples of faith that you see in the scriptures had a whole lot to do with waiting and trusting and waiting and trusting. Because what is faith? What is faith? Well, here is a definition that I'd like to propose to you this morning of faith. It's a faith that I think that we will see Simeon and others demonstrate in our text. But here's the definition that I want to present to you this morning. Christian faith is waiting for God to do what he has promised. Faith is waiting for God to do what he has promised. Or another way we could put it is believing that God does not lie. Believing that God is not a liar. So if he says something will come to pass, it will come to pass. 
That's what faith is. And I believe that we're going to see that type of faith modeled in some, but fulfilled in one person in our text this morning. But I'm going to go ahead and stop there like I normally do. I'm going to stop and I want to pray one more time. And I want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, I ask that you guys would just pray for me. And then we will jump into Simeon's song. But let me just, let me just pray one more time. Well, Father, I want to just thank you before we actually read your word. Just knowing that what we are about to do and just looking at your word with the preaching of your word, that we know, Lord, that we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to be able to illuminate texts, to allow the text to apply deep in our hearts. Lord, I can't change anybody in here. I can't make anyone believe anything. I can't bring about any conviction in anybody's heart, but I know you can. And so we pray for that this morning, that every single one of us would be able to walk out of here just knowing and believing that, God, you have taken your word and you've applied it to our hearts. God, I also want to just pray for our kiddos this morning that are in this building, both in in this room and also in our kids' classroom. God, I pray for those teachers as they just disciple the youngest minds in our church and as they look at the same song, that they would just walk out of, out of this building like all of us, knowing, believing, and trusting you more than when we first walked in. Jesus, it's in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22, and I'm going to read through verse 35. But let me go ahead and just read for us this morning. It says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that he is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, we're thankful for God's word. Now, before we actually get into the song of Simeon, what Simeon actually says about Jesus and what he says to Mary, um, I want to point out the faith that we actually get to see from Mary and Joseph, though, in the verses leading up to Simeon's song, in verses 22 through 24. Because our text reads that when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to Jerusalem in order to present him to the Lord. Now, let me explain what that means, what is going on there. In the Mosaic law, in the Old Testament, 
and specifically the book of Leviticus, God's people were instructed to take their firstborn to the temple in order to present this baby as a blessing from God himself. Because what, they, what the people of God wanted to do is they wanted to acknowledge that any baby that they had, and especially their firstborn, the reason why that child was in their arms was simply because of the mercy and provision of God. And so they wanted to present that baby and say, this baby ultimately belongs to you, Lord. This baby wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And even though we are going to raise this child, we want to take a moment to present him to you and thank you for the gift that he or she is. But there was a specific timing that this had to take place. You'll, you'll notice that it says, when the time came for the purification. Because when a woman gave birth, uh, she was considered ceremonially unclean for about 40 days, where they weren't, uh, they weren't uh, allowed to come into the temple. So even though the baby at this point had already been circumcised, they had to wait a few more weeks, and actually in order to bring this child to the temple. And when they brought the child to the temple, they were supposed to bring in a sacrifice for the burnt and sinful sacrifice of the day, basically to acknowledge that this is all because of you, Lord. Even though we were sinful, even though we've rebelled against you, we don't deserve this baby, we're going to present him, we're going to present him even with sacrifices, with these temporary atonement for our sins. And it says in verse 23 that they actually brought young pigeons or young turtle doves. Normally, a couple would have brought a lamb. But there was actually provision in the Old Testament that if you were poor, if you could not afford a lamb, you could bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. So what we see here is Mary and Joseph were poor. Right? They were poor. They, they did not have a lot to their name. Remember, Mary was likely only around 15 years old at the time that Jesus was born. Joseph, probably not very much older. So Jesus was born into poverty, church. But what I'd like to point out is that Mary and Joseph, despite those circumstances that surrounded their life, they did not waver in their faith in the word of God. In the word of God. Because imagine all of what has happened to them already. Right? They had heard about Jesus through uh, their own personal interactions with angels, both Joseph and Mary had interactions with an angel, telling them about this child to come, right? They heard about this child through Zechariah's song and prophecy, right? They heard about this child through the angels and through the testimony of the shepherds. They had some of the most miraculous experiences that any human could ever have in this world. You talk about special revelation, special communication from God himself. Mary and Joseph had it. You know, and, I, and, and I'm all for experiences. But you know what I notice here from Mary and Joseph? Despite they had this these intense, special revelation from God. Know what they never wavered in, though? Is believing and trusting in the Word of God. They never abandoned it. They never said, oh, God speaks to me in a different way. They were still tied to the very words of God himself. Four times in this passage alone, we see them trusting and obeying the law. See, their faith was demonstrated by their waiting and trusting in the promises of God. And not just the promises that were given to them specifically, but the, trust, the promises that were given to God's people universally. 
showing us this morning that no matter how many experiences we have in this life, we cannot abandon the Word of God, church. We can't move past it. I pray that, that, that you would have experiences, right? That God would illuminate certain texts for you as you read the Word of God. But we always are tied to the Word of God. That's the ultimate authority. But now I want to move on to verse 25. And this is where we start to be introduced to Simeon's song. And who is Simeon? We see that he was a man in Jerusalem. Doesn't say that he was a priest. Doesn't really say much about him. Just says he was a man in Jerusalem. We don't know his occupation. But we know that he's righteous and devout. And that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And we know that he was waiting and trusting in God's promises, waiting and trusting. And so what I want to show you first this morning is that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, it says. In verse 20, verse 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean, right? We don't typically use that terminology in that exact same way today. What does it mean to be waiting for the consolation of something? Well, think of it as, have you ever been consoled by somebody? What is going on in your life when you need to be consoled, when you are waiting for a consolation from something outside of yourself? And why did Israel need it, right? Why did Israel need to be consoled? Think of it this way. What was going on in the people of God? What was going on in humanity that there was tears, there was weariness, that they needed to be consoled as a people, that they were done, fatigued, emotionally, physically maybe. Let me give you an example of this in my own life. In, in, in high school, I remember there was one particular moment in my life, it was, it was a, my, our senior week of football. Um, I was a senior... And in, if, in case you're not familiar with that concept of, of, of senior week or senior night when it comes to sports, usually that's a, a certain night of the week when the seniors are basically acknowledged for this is their last season with this team, right? Because they are going to be graduating in the, the upcoming year. And so that senior night when you're playing sports and, and for football, usually what happened is you would be able to walk out onto the field with your family or certain loved ones. And it's, it's a great time. I love senior night where you get to see, you know, who are the supporting system in that person's life. And so it was senior week for me, and senior night was coming up. But yet I was devastated. You know why I was devastated? Because the one person who had the most influence on me playing football, my dad, was not going to be able to walk me out onto the field. And the reason why he was not going to be able to walk me out into the field is because he was in the hospital. He was dealing with the circumstances that surrounded his own, own abuses in his life. And we weren't sure what was going to happen with him. And so it was this, this week, and when I got the news that my dad was in the hospital, he was not going to be able to make senior night, I was in auto shop. I was in auto shop, and I remember I was standing in the in the the garage bay of auto shop over here at Douglas High School. And I was having a hard time keeping it together. I'm not a good crier. I'm a pretty ugly crier. A lot of snot. 
just fair warning. And I was trying to, I was trying to hold in the tears. Right? I was trying to hold it in so much where like, you start to shake a little bit because you're just overwhelmed with emotions. And it was at this moment that the shop teacher's name is Cade Balagad. He came over to me and he put his arm around me because he knew some of the circumstances that surrounded why my dad was in the hospital. And him putting his arm around me, it consoled my heart. There was an aspect of consolation that my heart needed that I didn't even realize until he did that. That's what the consolation of Israel is getting at. That there was this longing, this almost unbreaking of the heart of Israel that was taking place. But yet Simeon, he was waiting. He knew that this consolation, that somebody was going to come and console the heart of Israel, was going to console the heart of God's people. And he was waiting for that. And he was waiting there because he probably knew the Old Testament. He probably knew that this was promised. Let me show you this. This is just from the book of Isaiah, a couple of texts where we see God promise his consolation for his people. The first one is in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 2. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Or Isaiah 57, verse 18. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. These were just a snapshot of these promises in which God was giving his people, in which Simeon was waiting upon during his life. And what the word of God teaches us is that there is this longing, this consolation that I believe is in every human heart that this world in and of itself cannot console. Someone else needs to console your heart. The world can't. It will do it and it will try in many ways, and you guys know that. It can do a good job in a lot of ways, but it cannot ultimately console your heart. And Simeon, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, in some way, we don't know exactly how he was Um, told that he would see the consolation of Israel. But he was told that before he died, he would see the Lord's Christ. That he would see this Messiah, this anointed one that was coming, that was God himself coming to console the heart of Israel. And so Simeon, maybe he had been waiting for a long time. Maybe day after day in the temple, waiting and trusting. Waiting and trusting. And then one day, what happened? In comes Mary and Joseph, and they're carrying the baby Jesus. They're coming into the temple to present Jesus to the Lord. And it says in verse 28 that he took him in his arms and he blessed God, saying, and we'll get to what he said here in a moment, but I just want to point out, I believe that probably Simeon asked permission to grab baby Jesus. It's not in the text. But I'm just going to assume that, right? We're working on assuming the best in other people. Or maybe, maybe Mary and Joseph at this time, they're like, you know what? Strange men have been coming into our lives, wanting to see our son way more than we're, we're used to. But at this point, we just kind of expect it. I don't know. 
But Simeon took Jesus in his arms, and in a fulfillment of Isaiah 52, he began to sing a song of God's love and God's redemption for his people. And so in verses 29 through 32, church, we get the song of Simeon. We get the song of Simeon, where he starts by thanking God that now he can depart in peace. Right? That he's okay to die. Because he has seen Jesus. He has seen his Savior. And as I mentioned, we don't know his age, but it was likely that he was older in age. But truthfully, isn't, isn't that that concept of, I can now depart in peace because I have seen Jesus universal for us all? That no matter how old we are, there's an aspect when you believe in who Jesus is, believe in what he has done, you have seen the salvation that he brings, that he has brought. You go, so I can depart in peace because I know my Savior lives, because I know what he has done. But, it's, but Simeon actually goes on and he says in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation. And here's what I want to point out, that, that Greek word that, um, that Luke translates here in his eyewitness testimony. And I don't know if, if Simeon exactly used this word or not, but it's the way that it was translated. It's not the most common Greek word for a, a savior. But it actually is communicating the one that was fit to save. Fit to save. So what Simeon is saying is, I have seen the one who was fit to save. Now, here's why I want to point that out to you this morning. When we behold Jesus coming, and we behold and remember that he came through what type of conception? A miraculous conception, right? That he was born a virgin birth. Here is why that is significant. That actually explains why Jesus is fit to save. Let me rewind all the way back to the garden. When sin entered this world, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and rebelled against God, there was a curse on every single person that was born thereafter. Every single person that was born a man inherited the curse and was marred by sin, born into sin, born guilty. And every single person then followed that by their own sin, but they were born guilty. So the only way then for someone not to be born into sin was to be not be born through man. Jesus is the only person then, church, who did not, was not born in a man that bore the curse. The virgin birth, being born through that miraculous conception, actually teaches us that Jesus was fit for salvation. That he was not born into sin. He was born sinless. The only person to ever be so. And what did Jesus do with that sinless birth? He lived a sinless life. Perfectly obeying who God is and what he's instructed his people. The only person to ever do that. I didn't do that. You guys haven't done that. But Jesus was perfect, not only when he was born, but he lived a perfect life. And what did Jesus do with that perfect life, church? He went to the cross with it. He declared himself to be a substitute 
to pay the ransom for our sins on the cross to take full atonement, not for his sins, but for our sins. Because the only exchange that could possibly be made with God is if someone sinless was being substituted for someone who was sinful. That's why Jesus was fit to be our Savior, church. And that's what Simeon is trying to communicate, is that this person, this baby, is altogether different. So when we think about the virgin birth, it's not something that we can just throw away and say, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if that actually is how it happened. What matters is what Jesus did with his life. And I would say, it does matter what Jesus did with his life, but if we were to throw out the virgin birth, we would lose the Savior who was fit for our salvation. Does that make sense? And so what Simeon is getting at is that Jesus and Jesus alone was fit to be our Savior. That's why my eyes have seen your salvation. And going on in verse 32, Simeon points out that he is a light of revelation for all the people, including Gentiles. And not just for the glory of Israel. And here's why that's good news for us. Is most of us in this room are Gentiles, meaning we're not Jewish. We're not Jewish. And here we're seeing Simeon say that this baby is not just for the redemption of Israel, not just for the redemption of his people that he made a covenant with in the past, but it's actually for all people that would come to him and embrace him as Lord and Savior. Absolutely remarkable that Jesus is not just a a tiny Savior, but he is a global Savior. That's why when in John 3.16, which, which Gary read this morning in our Advent reading, that so God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he was coming for all people who would believe and trust in him. He doesn't lose a single soul that belongs to him, church. And in verse 33, it says that they marveled at what was said about him. Marveled once again about the grandness of this baby that they were holding. They never got tired hearing about how great Jesus was. And I pray that's the same for us. Right? When we come in week in and week out, and you guys are like, you kind of preach the same sermon every week. I know. It's the only sermon, it's the best news that we can announce. So I'm always going to talk about Jesus and how great he is. There's no one better to talk about. And we see Mary and Joseph marveling once again about who baby Jesus is, who their son is. But here in verse 34 is where I want to, there's a little bit of a hard turn in Simeon's dialogue. Where he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he shifts them to the eyes of Mary. And he looks her in the eyes. And he wants to tell her something. And I want, let's look at that. It says in verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. That doesn't sound like a very common Christmas song. That has a little bit of a darker edge to it. And the reason why is because Jesus was no longer in the manger, but he was on his way to the cross. And what Simeon is pointing out is that, yes, we need to celebrate the birth of Christ, but we need to celebrate and remember where Christ went after. 
and it was on his way to the cross. And so what Simeon tells Mary is that her child is going to be for the appointed, for the fall and rising of many in Israel, a sign that is going to be opposed. Can you imagine hearing that about your, your newborn kid? Like, hey, this is your son. He is great, but he's going to be hated by many. He's going to be a polarizing figure. He is not going to be well-liked. Many people are going to fall because of him. But Simeon was preparing Mary's heart for what our own hearts always need to be prepared for during our Advent season. Of what did it cost? What what do we do with Jesus? He's not just someone to, to see in a manger and go, oh, that's awesome, baby Jesus. Eight pounds, six ounce, whatever, whatever amount he weighed. I doesn't know. But Simeon was explaining that when it comes to Jesus, and this is true for us today, that there's only two options on how we deal with him. There's only two responses to Jesus when he's little and now. And what are those two responses? You either fall with him or rise with him. See, every church... Or let me say it a different way. Every person in every church, every person throughout the world has to make a decision about Jesus. There's only two teams, so to speak. Only two camps. Whether you're going to rise with him or you're going to fall with him. What is, let me start with the fall. Let me start with the bad news first. What does it mean to fall with him? It means that you can't hide what you do about Jesus. That you can't be indifferent to Jesus. It actually says at the end of our text in verse 35 that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That you may be able to pretend, you may be able to trick people in your life on what you believe about Jesus, but you will not be able to trick God. You can't trick him. So every single person has to make a decision on what do they actually believe about Jesus. What are you going to do with him? Because if you are neutral to him, say, that doesn't really matter. That's actually choosing. That's choosing to reject him. You can't just say that he's just maybe a good moral religious figure that works for some and not for others. That's not an option that the word of God gives us. We either rise with him or fall with him. So to reject him, either actively or passively, means to fall into death. Spiritual death now, eternal death to come. Only two options. Truth be told, many people have rejected Christ throughout the history of the world, even today. I pray not in this room. Everybody has to make a decision what they are going to do about Jesus. Is he Lord and Savior now? Or is he just the coming judge to judge you later? Every single person has to make a decision about Jesus. That's why Jesus, with his own disciples, do you remember what he asked them? Who do you say that I am? His own disciples, those that were closest, right, who did the the most Christian things before they were even Christian had to make a decision on who is Jesus. Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? We all have to make a decision about who Christ is and what that means. It's the most important question in all of human history, then and now. 
But the second option is to rise with him. And here's the good news, church. The second option is, if you have embraced Christ, if you've understood who he is, if you've understood why he went to the cross, if you understood that it mattered to you, the Bible's promise is that you are going to rise with him. Now that word rise, when it's anywhere else it's actually used in the New Testament, it means resurrection. It means resurrection. So when Jesus said that you will, or when Simeon said that you will rise with him, he's saying that you will resurrect with him. Right? A foreshadow of what will come to every single person who has believed and trusted in Christ. That when Jesus rose from the grave, right, so we celebrate on Easter morning, we know that that was a promise, a foreshadow of what was to come for every single person who belongs to him. That we will one day rise with him as well. So the question that is, I think, very obvious, where do we stand? Where do we stand on that individually? Right? The line into heaven is single file, if you will. We all have to make a decision. Does Jesus stand as the cornerstone of your life in which everything is built upon? Or is he the stumbling block that you trip over as you pursue something else? Maybe yourself in being God and Savior rather than the one who is. And I believe what Simeon has predicted has come true. We see that every single day, don't we? Maybe for some of us, we've been battling with that for a long time, asking, who do I say that Jesus is? And that you are coming to this reckoning within your own soul that says, I have to do something with Jesus. I've been playing this game for long enough in my life. Maybe I've been in and out of church. right? Maybe I've been in church for a long time, but if I'm truthful with myself and I'm truthful with God, I'm not quite sure where I'm at. Today is the day, church. Make a decision. Make a decision. And if you need help making that decision, or maybe understanding the implications of one way or the other, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I'd be happy to. There's no shame in that. Jesus himself said to follow me is to come and die. Now what does that mean? It means that only true life will actually be found in him. And so to die to self, to die to anything else is actually gain. But let me one more time look at, let's look at the word. Look at verse 35. I want to show you one more prophecy, one more thing that Simeon points out to Mary that I think is a lot of significance for us this morning. It says in verse 35, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about this whole scene, and I've been, in, just because it's my job and I've been preparing for this Sunday, I've been thinking about this whole scene with Simeon grabbing Jesus and singing to him. And because I have, in, in many ways, been vastly affected by Disney movies, I think about The Lion King. Do you remember at the beginning of The Lion King when, right, when... Baby Simba is born, and Rafiki goes and grabs baby Jesus, and he takes him out, and he presents him to all of the kingdom. Behold your future king, right? And then all of the animal kingdom bows in submission to him. I think about that. Like, that's what this should have been like. But it's not, right? There's no indication that there was this crowd that gathered around, that all of a sudden people from every tribe and every language, began to bow their knee to Christ. 
that he wasn't lifted up for all to see? We have no indication of that in this text. But you know what, church? That did happen. It happened on the cross. That baby Jesus, when he grew up, right, and he lived a life we couldn't live, and he went to the Roman cross, he was lifted up, right? He was presented as the king of kings for all to see. And although many bowed on that day to his kingship and his lordship, we know that the future coming, that every knee will bow. And so what Simeon is pointing out is, I may not be lifting up your baby in the way that he should be lifted up today for all people, but your son, Mary, will be lifted up one day. And he is going to be held by everyone on that day. But on that day, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult, because what does it say? A sword will pierce your own soul. What happened to Jesus on the cross after he yelled out, it is finished, right? When he fully bore the wrath of God for all people, past, present, and future, that would believe and trust in him, and he breathed his last, said, it is finished. Do you remember what the centurion did after that? He pierced his heart with a long spear, which is how this also could be translated. This word sword means a long sword or a spear. And although Mary didn't feel the tip of the steel piercing her heart, she was there. She was watching this happen, and you can better believe that she felt it in her soul that day. In the same way, if you have kids and you ever seen them get hurt, if you ever seen them have pain on their face, you feel that same pain in the depths of who you are. And that's what Simeon is saying. Mary, you have to prepare yourself that your son is going to grow and it's going to cost him everything. Because as we, we walk through Advent, right, as we embrace Christmas Eve and we sing those songs and, and we're going to look at Moses' song out of Revelation on the 26th, one thing that we cannot forget, church, is that the love of God that was demonstrated on the cross that Simeon is talking about in his own song, it was not a cheap love. It cost Jesus everything. It even cost Mary to have to bear to watch her own son be pierced for her transgressions. And so to end our time, I want to just point out, do you remember who gave this song to Simeon? The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit did. Meaning that this song in which Simeon is talking about, right, this cross that was coming, this was the plan of redemption from the beginning, right? The Holy Spirit wasn't making an audible at this point. Right? He was saying, this is the plan, Simeon. I need you to know the plan of redemption. I need you to know what God is up to. That God is always fulfilling his promises to those who are trusting in him. Because remember, going back to the very beginning, what is faith, church? Faith is trusting in the promises of God. So you might feel this morning that you're not flying high by belonging to Jesus. Right? There might be aspects of your own heart that says, I am weary. There's a lot of sin in my life. There's a lot of strife in my life. 
There's a lot of suffering in my life, but let me encourage you this morning, just as Simeon was encouraged by hearing from the Holy Spirit, that God does not lie. And so when he says that those who believe in him will rise with him, will resurrect with him, that is a promise that we're still waiting on, isn't it? That's a promise that we can walk out of here beholding and remember. That's a promise that when we look at that manger scene, we can go, there's the one I'm going to rise with. There's the one that went where I could not go. There's the one that I get to behold once again, knowing that that baby does not lie. You see, Advent is not about trying to become fit for salvation. It's beholding the one who was fit for salvation. And he gave it to you. He gave it to me. I hope, church, as we end our time in the Word and really think back through all the different songs we have looked at the last four weeks, that your hearts have prepared room that this Christmas is unlike a Christmas you've experienced in the past. In a way that you've had your own heart and your own soul opened up, remembered, reminded, maybe for the first time, introduced to the Christ of Christmas. And to that end, we're going to celebrate and we're going to sing and do so because God is faithful to always fulfill the promises that he has given to his people. Let's go ahead and just end in prayer and then we'll respond. Well, Father, I thank you so much that we have these promises given to us through these songs. God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for allowing Simeon to be able to speak this song, not just for Mary and Joseph to hear, but also for us to read about, to contemplate thousands of years later. What a gift that is. What a gift it is to be able to trust you. And God, we know that that faith of, of trusting and waiting on your promises, we know that that faith is not our own. That faith needs to be bolstered and strengthened by you and you alone. So God, we ask that every single person that you give them that faith, maybe for the first time, to believe and trust in what you have done and what you will do. Lord, we love you and we need you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.